Hello, my name is Dr. Paul Wheatley-Price, a medical oncologist and president of Lung Cancer Canada. Welcome to our podcast series called Lung Cancer Voices. In this series of podcasts, I'm interviewing patients, caregivers, healthcare professionals, some of the leading lung cancer researchers in the country, indeed in the world, to highlight important and relevant issues facing those affected by lung cancer. Welcome to the Lung Cancer Voices podcast, and I am having a virtual podcast discussion with Tim Mons in Alberta. Tim is a lung cancer patient and advocate, and Tim, thank you for joining us to share your story. Thanks for having me. Maybe first, for people listening, you could just sort of introduce yourselves to everyone. Who is Tim Mons? Okay. Tim Mons, I'm 62 years old. I was a teacher, school administrator, and retired as a school superintendent here in Alberta, which is the same as a director in Ontario. I have four children, two are engineers, one's a pharmacist, and the other one is in the, in the athletic world, and uh, he helps us run our give a breath and other sorts of things. And I have two amazing grandchildren. So that's, that's our family, and my wife and I will be married uh, 39 years this summer. So um, I've been in Alberta my whole life. And are all your family and your grandchildren, are they all close by? They're within a reasonable distance. Our one son is moving to Calgary with his wife and our other daughter and grandkids with her husband are in Sylvan Lake, which is only a couple hour drive. And then the other two with their spouses are very close, Edmonton and Spruce Grove, so close. Okay. Now we, this is probably not gonna be released the day we record it. So for people listening, today's May 18th and May 18th, 2021, COVID's not looking so good in Alberta. How are things in your area? In our area, we're not in a red zone as we call it here in Alberta, but uh, COVID surrounding us is, uh, is pretty worrisome. There are a lot of cases, the rural Alberta, especially right now, as was pointed out by the Premier and Dr. Hinshaw the other day, is much worse than Edmonton and Calgary. And uh, so we have, some, we have some work to get back on track here in Alberta. But you and your family, uh, you're all safe and in good health? Well, we'll yes. talk about your health in a second, but uh, yeah. from, from that perspective, everyone's okay? My family's doing very well. We have a family that are rule followers. So we, um, we have been honoring the restrictions. We stay at our home. I don't think anybody's been in our house for a year, except maybe somebody to fix something once. Um, right. When we do get to see our four children, their spouses and our grandchildren, it's outside from a distance. In fact, at one meeting, we were outside, I think we we're all 20 feet away because uh, my kids are very cautious. They're not going to take any chances of, uh, of dad or mom, especially dad with lung cancer being exposed. And they're in some positions that they are exposed as teachers, our right. son-in-laws and our daughters are pharmacists giving shots, et cetera. Right. So um, of course we're hearing this a lot that particularly um, people with lung cancer are maybe a bit more isolated from their family because of, you know, concerns of, of, of getting in, infected, but it, it sounds like you're navigating this pretty well. But you mentioned there, of course, that you have lung cancer and this is the Lung Cancer Voices podcast. So um, what's your lung cancer story? When, when were you diagnosed and, and how are you doing? So I was just diagnosed with uh, lung cancer in 2016. It was actually five years this, this past April that I went into a hospital thinking I was having a heart attack. And for years I've been having um, pains in my arm and various chest pains and breathing troubles and bronchial pneumonia almost yearly, more than once. 
And so I went in one day, I drove myself to the hospital thinking I was having a heart attack and uh, they found a, a nodule in my lung and a CT scan two days later and then uh, referred on to the Royal Alec um, and had a PET scan. And uh, eventually a few months later, uh, that's three months later, I had a, on June 29th in 2016, I had a left upper lobectomy and it was lung cancer. So they removed my, my left upper lung. Um, and since then, I've discovered that the year before that nodule was missed in the previous x-ray as well. So over the time, it's, uh, it's been missed a few times, but I'm happy that we were able to start dealing with it at that time. And then for two years, I, I, from 2016 to 2018, every three months, I had the usual CT scan and everything looked great until 2018. Okay. Now, uh, before we get on to 2018, back in 2016, did you make a easy recovery from surgery was that was that a I mean that's a, it's a big operation but a lot of people now recover very well was how was that I, I recovered quite well but um being the personality I am I went back to work probably too soon because I always started my year off with 1200 staff coming back in one of the large schools and having opening these speeches and welcoming back and doing the motivational things and I I believed I needed to be there. And I did not have a, a typical, from my understanding, uh, lobectomy in the sense that my body didn't cooperate. So I had to be opened right up. So I had a, a lot of staples in and I went back to work within six weeks. Um, I recovered quite well overall, but I did find myself for the next few months having to take a little time off now and then and work half days and so on because I had gone back too soon. But overall, I'm gonna say I recovered quite well. Right. Actually, maybe I'll, I'll plug a previous episode of the podcast for people listening, with, uh, which was one where we interviewed uh, Professor Eric Lim, who's a surgeon in London, um, when they talked about different types of surgery for a lobectomy. Like you say, they opened you right up and there were a lot of staples. And he was talking about that compared to what's called video-assisted surgery, where they just make a few small holes. But did you need chemotherapy after the after the surgery or were you, were you sort of just the operation and then you were finished? It, it was just the operation. Um, I had vascular invasion. There was no signs of it being my lymph nodes. And so at this point, the decision was made that um, we likely won't have to talk about cancer again. Those are my words, obviously, but that was my belief. And uh, so, no, I did not have any further treatment other than going for CT scan every three right. months and having great, great success stories until three weeks after I retired. Okay. And I think you mentioned maybe before we started recording that it was a stage one lung cancer initially, and the cure rates from stage one lung cancer are pretty good. Uh, odds are stacked in people's favor that they won't have a recurrence. Which was my belief uh, that I would not have a recurrence because yes, it was stage one, right. one module. Uh, a little over two centimeters, and we believe we had it. I believe we had it, and I believe the doctor did as yeah. well. So that would probably be a stage 1A lung cancer. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Very, very, generally very high cure rates. And maybe another plug in general, but lung cancer screening to try and detect early lung cancers is now coming. It's coming in British Columbia. It's coming in Ontario as formal programs and other provinces we hope are going to follow. And the idea is that we detect more people at stage one and stage two mm -hmm. with high cure rates. So, so that must have been then pretty devastating to be someone who you think is, you're feeling you've likely beaten this 
what what happened then in 2018? It was incredibly devastating, to be honest. Um, June of 2018, I just retired as a school superintendent and uh, my staff had a great celebration. And one week later, I went for my CT scan and then a week later for the results. And I have a pretty amazing surgeon and um, I got to know him, of course. And right away, as soon as he started speaking to me about how's things going with all sorts of general conversation, not that we didn't have it, but not to that degree in the past, I knew something wasn't right. So anyways, um, the results were showed that 11 new nodules had shown up in my lungs um, and um, they were spread throughout uh, my remaining lobes. And um, at that point, they were all below a centimeter. And so my surgeon suggested we, we wait the summer we had booked a trip to go on a riverboat cruise, my wife and I with some friends. We wait the summer and we check back and have another CT scan because I was feeling great. I was feeling fine. Came back from the summer, had another CT scan and um, they had grown a little bit more, not much. And so my surgeon made the decision, of course with me, not by himself, but my decision that we should move forward on another surgery. So in my right middle lobe, I had a wedge resection done. Two of the nodules were removed and it was confirmed that it was uh, the same cancer, non-small cell lung cancer and adenocarcinoma. And then a few months later, I had the PDL uh, one uh, biomarker. Uh, I was told I had that. Yep. But those months were very hard um, in the sense that uh, my wife, myself, the kids, grown children, but um, we're all wondering what's going on because of course I can't see an oncologist yet until I heal. And so months went by and now I've been actively involved as an advisor with a project here in Alberta to talk about uh, when people get a stage four diagnosis, they need to talk to someone and not be left unattended, so to say. Right. So anyways, from there, then I started seeing my oncologist, which leads into another journey. Right. Do you well, want me to continue keep, or? keep going. Yeah. So where are we at? We're up to now, sort of late 2018. Yes. So I, I believe I got to see my oncologist. It was late November of 2018 and, and very worried, uh, high, high anxiety, wondering what's going on, because this is all so new. I, like you had said earlier, I was of the belief that I stage one, I'm done with this. By that fall, late fall, when I saw my oncologist, I had had another CT scan. They didn't grow. So we went another three months and we'll follow up in the nine remaining nodules. So we did. And the next time, minimal growth, one millimeter. So I still have nine nodules below a centimeter okay. and growing very slowly. So- um, And not showing up anywhere else in your body. Just not, thank you for my, yeah, not showing up anywhere else in my body. Um, we did do a, a brain, uh, you know, we did a CT scan of the brain. We did follow up on other sorts of things. I, I had a bone scan because some other things to check on, but nothing had shown up anywhere else. So up until November of 2020, so really I, I it was um, basically two years, almost two years. Uh, they grew minimally. Okay. But the, by 2020, they were starting to be one centimeter. 1.5 centimeters, 1.7 centimeters. And then on top of that, at one point you would talk, there's a 20 of them, you know, so there's, there's more showing up on the, on the uh, CT scan. 
So the decision was made that I would start immunotherapy. So I feel pretty blessed in the sense that they grew so slowly for two years. We traveled for a year before COVID and, and did a lot of things. I felt great, but they were growing. So Tim, can I ask you about that? Because as a clinician sitting on my side of the table, I'll often say to people, you know, a little simplistically maybe, but better to have a slow growing cancer than a fast growing cancer. And, you know, having the, the option of not having treatment for a couple of years because things are moving so slowly and not causing symptoms seems to be a good thing from my side of the table. Did you view it as that or did you, did you have always an, a sense at the back of your mind of like you kind of waiting for the shoe to drop or? I did view it that way. My oncologist is amazing in my view. And um, he actually gave me some choices in the sense of here's our options. We could, can talk about treatment right now, but if we move forward on immunotherapy with your high PDL one there's, there's a chance it may attack thyroid or other sorts of things. And that's not something we want to happen either. Can you mentally cope with um, knowing this cancer's in your body and moving forward? And my answer was, yeah, I want to travel. So for me, to be quite frank, as a person who worked long hours and did lots, I've learned to meditate. I've learned to, to do some men's yoga. I've learned to do things to help me uh, deal with knowing I have a cancer growing in my body. Um, in fact, to the point when I was told we were gonna talk about immunotherapy, now I'm going, wait a minute, I don't wanna have to do this, let's just leave them. But that wasn't the time. It was time now that they'd grown enough that we had to move on to immunotherapy. Yeah, and I know your oncologist and uh, he, he is, well, internationally respected. He's physician. amazing. I didn't see his name because I'm not sure if I'm close to one here, but anyways, he's amazing. Uh, you can if you want. <laughs> Dr. Butts is amazing. <laughs> Gosh, where was I going with this? Right. So another thing that we sometimes say to people, I guess, is if you're feeling fine, physically, if you're fe feeling fine, setting aside the, um, the, the, the mental health stress, uncertainty, but, but just physically, if you're physically feeling well and things are growing very slowly, treatment at that point is not going to make you feel any better because you're oh. physically you're already feeling well so treatment maybe too soon might just cause side effects so uh, and, I, and I sometimes say to people again look if this drug is going to work now and it's so slow growing if it's going to work now it'll work in six months that's um, exactly what was said to me yeah. the other thing that we talked about is because I, I do a fair bit of research just who I am the longer we wait, the more options for treatment there'll be. Right, and we're gonna come on to that in a second. Uh, so you started the immunotherapy just a few months ago then? I did, I've had uh, every three weeks, I've had three, um, uh, three treatments so far. Okay. Um, right. And I just had my first CT scan last week after my first three treatments. And it just happens to be the day I met with my oncologist for results. That was today, you just met with Dr. Just this morning. And you have good news to share, I believe. I do. So after three treatments, I appear to be responding to immunotherapy. And, uh, you know, it's the detailed guy I want to be. I want to know exactly how many nodules there are, but they just use the words the radiologist is many. <laughs> I don't know how many, but at any rate, the answer is that uh, some of my nodules have now disappeared. And all of my nodules have shrunk to some degree the largest nodule shrunk seven millimeters. So 
we were pretty excited to hear all this news. In fact, I knew going in today about it because uh, Dr. Butts actually called me a few days ago so I could relax over the weekend and know that when I come, we'll have some good news to talk about. What a nice guy. It was amazing, you know, it was very nice. I think a lot of oncologists do that if they get a scan result, which is good news, and there's an appointment a bit further ahead, they just make a quick phone call to say, you know, don't worry, this is looking good, you know. Good, so, so we're recording this on a good day. We are, and so now I, as a patient, of course, wonder what the next steps are and all that kind of stuff. And uh, at this point, it's we continue. We have a few things we have to check on that may be concerning, but we'll sort that out over the next week or so. I can. I have another treatment this Thursday, and then I continue on and uh, continue. You finding the treatment okay? Is it? The, is it? You're managing it okay? I am. I've had a few side effects, but nothing major. Nothing major. So you can maintain yes. a good quality of life and activity levels. And, yeah. yeah. And, and um, you got some other news uh, today or, or recently about the lung cancer. Well, I've been part of a, uh, a, a trial out of uh, the Tom Baker, the poet trial, and some information has come to my oncologist, but he's still waiting for all the details of it because it's just coming down. So I'm not sure I'm jumping the gun by sharing this or not, but uh, I was told I, I, it appears I have uh, the RET mutation. And with that, we'll figure out next steps. But this is just all evolving yesterday and today. Yeah. So I might be jumping the gun by sharing this all because I don't have enough details yet. Well, uh, for those listening, I mean, uh, there are lots of different subtypes of lung cancer now uh, that we can identify. And uh, there is a, a, a relatively new one called RET, R-E-T, with, with a promising treatment for that subtype. So, so Tim, I guess if, if this does all fall, fall out as, it's, as it might do, that you do have RET, then Dr. Butts' words to you, uh, I guess, a couple of years ago, that the longer you wait, the more options might become available. Well, that, that might just be exactly what's going to happen for you. So... And I haven't forgot those. And I think I shared that with a few lung cancer patients when they see me on global TV about our walk runner when I was doing some advocacy work. I've been contacted and I, I keep saying that to them as well. Every day is a new day with lung cancer in the sense that it feels like we're getting more and more research done. And so we hope that grows more yet. So you mentioned advocacy there. So maybe we can, we can move on to that. Firstly, let's just talk a bit about COVID because you've been doing some advocacy around vaccinations, I believe. But, but just, and we talked a little bit about the situation in Alberta earlier. Uh, can you just though, give me a sense of having treatment during sort of lockdown times? Have you had to go to the hospital on your own? Have you been doing meetings with your oncologist virtually? How have things changed? So up until there was more growth in my nodules, I had been doing virtual appointments with my oncologist because the, the growth was still minimal, but then we still had, we had some more changes. So he wanted to see me in person. Back in the fall, as an example, with COVID, I, I uh, fractured a rib and uh, I don't even know how I did it, but I did. And that's when they wanted bone scan done and that sort of thing. But putting all that aside for a moment, as a patient, it was difficult here in Alberta in the sense that I have a cough. I had a pretty strong cough. It settled down with being on immunotherapy now, but I had a pretty bad cough. So questions asked, do you have a cough? Well, yeah, I do. I have lung cancer. Well, you have to go for a COVID test first. 
<laughs> come in for, for a test. Okay, but the initial response was, you can't have a test. We can't bring you into the clinic to check you out. So that's when I phoned the cross who helped me work through this. They told me go to emergency here in Alberta at a clinic. And I kind of went, no, I'm not doing that. Anyways, I got that all sorted out. My point to all that is just that it's, it hasn't been as simple as some people think for us as cancer patients or for anyone for that matter to be able to find the medical attention they need. Going to the cross, it's an amazing facility. They are very thorough and it, is, uh, it has gone well. That said, two of the times I've gone for my treatment, I've had to have a COVID test done because there's been an outbreak there. So you leave and you get a call from Alberta Health Service saying you need to have a COVID test. Yeah. So it doesn't make it simple. So when I hear some cancer patients saying I'm concerned, maybe even using the word fearful to go in for treatment, I do understand that, that statement. Right. And for those listening, when you mentioned the Cross, so the Cross Cancer Institute is the big cancer center in, in Edmonton. Um, so, yeah, and you know, we've all had to be dealing with this, haven't we? And, you know, from whichever aspect of, of whichever sort of stakeholder role we take in the healthcare system as a patient or a clinician or, or an administrator, or, but it's difficult with lung cancer when lung cancer symptoms can mimic well, they're the same, you know, like you say, a cough, feeling short of breath. So you must have had a lot of tests. I've had a few tests. <laughs> Not a lot. I wouldn't say a lot, but I've had a few. It's all good. And have you been vaccinated? I have been vaccinated and I've had my second dose as well. And that's been part of the advocacy here in Alberta. Right. So, yes, I have. So that, that's a good segue in. So when, uh, you know, when the vaccines first were coming out, the, the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines initially, then AstraZeneca, you know, we were, they were really studied as vaccines that you, you have two shots about three or four weeks apart. And that's, that's what their license is for. And that's how it was written on what we call the product monograph, which is, is the detailed document that explains how to give a drug. And then of course, the Canadian government made a decision which you know supported by a lot of public health experts that actually every four months would be better because it will allow you know more people to get a dose of the vaccine and then fast forward on a little bit and news is coming so quickly but there was some research actually coming from a colleague of mine who i trained with in the uk who led a study dr urshad where they really were it was quite worrying that actually cancer patients don't seem to mount the immune response of a non-cancer patient after one dose only, and they really need the, the second dose at, at that normal interval, the, the four-week interval instead of the four-month interval. But of course, it's that was a lot of people are saying to the government, well, we want our vaccines now, and we want our second vaccines, not just cancer patients. And you're a teacher. Uh, you know, teachers also, very valid reason to say, let's get teachers high up the line. But Anyway, that's a long preamble. What were you doing with, you, you were involved in trying to get cancer patients having their second dose on after four weeks instead of four months? Right, we, in Alberta, we started with the first letter trying to get uh, cancer patients just to be considered for the first dose. Okay, higher. So we, we have high, back in January, and, and, and I, Emmy Basio, who's a, another uh, cancer patient, lung cancer patient in Calgary, Yes. She kind of became the writer. She's an amazing writer, did the letters. And a number of us cancer patients, who we kind of call our little group, Team Alberta, 
we all signed it and sent the letters off. I should, um, we should give a shout out to her actually because she's joining the Lung Cancer Canada board uh, as our board secretary. In, uh, and she's in amazing. So we've worked, when we, and thank you for saying the advocacy for the uh, first dose and second dose kind of thing, but this was not alone. Now, Emmy and I spent a great deal of time on this. Yeah. And um, letters went and eventually the, uh, the first dose was accepted uh, in stage 2B in Alberta, which allowed lung cancer patients to get it. And it was similar to what Ontario's was because we were sharing all of that. Stage two, or sorry, the, the next stage of getting the, the, uh, the second dose for lung cancer patients that, well, all cancer patients, because we made this about all cancer patients who fall in the category of active treatment. Um, I say that not being a doctor, but from my understandings. So we focused on that a lot. We had sent letters and, um, we were contacting our local MLAs, MLAs yourself. Then with that, we became involved in, in even a larger group in connecting with Lung Cancer Canada, who connected with so many other cancer groups and wrote that very strong, amazing, wonderful letter that I shared with the oncology group at Cross. I shared with media. I'm on with Global News here in Edmonton. They're amazing. We send emails to each other and they take in that information. So then very... They've been very supportive in helping get the word out. And then along with that, I became involved with the, 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 the Canadian Cancer Network and would go on some uh, MLA Zoom meetings with Conrad and we would talk about the second dose with MLAs, some of them being UCP, some of them being NDP. And we got a fairly positive response. And over time, from everybody's work, from the government of Alberta, the medical people in Alberta, Alberta Health Service, just making the, the right decision, it changed. Great. Well, two things. Firstly, congratulations. And secondly, on behalf of the Lung Cancer Canada and the lung cancer community, thank you for, for putting in that effort because, you know, it really does make a difference and will hopefully make... A, a very tangible difference in, in, in the lives of people with cancer who, who may otherwise have got sick from COVID and had complications and now, now won't. You've, you've been involved in advocacy for lung cancer um, independent of COVID though, the wrong question uh, campaign, um, the uh, give a breath. Could you describe a couple of those things you've been doing? Sure. So 2018, um, with my second diagnosis, I spoke to Dr. Bedard, my surgeon, who was also amazing. Everybody that I find in the medical world, first of all, I'm going to say is pretty amazing. Anyways, we talked about a walk run that my family wanted to do. So we started in 2019, what's called Give a Breath. It's a 5K walk run. We did have a, a, a place that we used, Emily Murphy Park in Edmonton. We had about 160 people show up that year. Our first walk run for lung cancer in Alberta. Uh, we raised about 35000 that first year. And it went to the Royal Alec at that time. Year two, for direct, direct support for lung cancer, I should say. And 100% of the proceeds go to that. Dear, year two, uh, we continue to partner with the Royal Alec Foundation, Royal, Royal Alec Hospital Foundation. And then we brought in Alberta Cancer. And it's the money year two has gone to support early detection research uh, that is happening here in Alberta. And that, that was about $35,000 again, but of course it went virtual because that was the first year of COVID. This year, and we always did have a virtual component to it anyways. 
This year, it's virtual again. We have some great hats and bags we've been given by uh, amazing sponsors. Like, it's amazing how many people are coming up to sponsor for lung cancer. Uh, CompuGen in particular is just doing a huge job. Um, then we, we are having that on June 5th, and it's virtual. People can pick up hats in, in, in various uh, running stores in Alberta that are going to support us and help in that way. And then I'm going to be mailing them off to a number of people throughout Canada because we have a number of other people signing up. I have a suspicion it will not be as huge as it was in the last few years of raising $60,000. We are in the third wave, and it is a tough time. But yeah. we're still raising awareness and moving forward in that. A couple other things. I've been involved in on Global Edmonton talking about uh, lung cancer awareness for Lung Cancer Awareness Month. Um, I was involved with the Stop Asking the Wrong Question, where we did a video. And uh, I ended up having my picture with Stop Asking the Wrong Question on the back of buses in Edmonton and Calgary, I guess. I didn't see it myself, but I was told I did. And uh, my wife and I did a commercial for a lotto uh, group with Alberta Cancer to raise funny money for uh, cancer in general because it was a they wanted lung cancer patients, so we did that as well. So we've been involved in a few things to support awareness and raising funds for lung cancer. Yeah, terrific. Yeah, the wrong question is um, a campaign uh, that people can see. The wrong question.ca is the website, but it's really this idea that when people get diagnosed with lung cancer, uh, typically the first question they get asked by whoever is is around cigarette smoking and that's the wrong question and the, the right question might be how are you feeling or how can i help um, tim thank you so much for your time today it's great to hear your that you're well and that you you've got good news today and that you've got options and since being diagnosed with lung cancer, you've, be, you've been able to travel and you've been able to do all of this wonderful advocacy work. Maybe just in closing, if, if there are patients or, or, or family members or caregivers listening, is, is there anything that you would like to say, a message you'd like to give them to encourage people as they're facing lung cancer? I think, I think what I'd want to say is that the diagnosis is absolutely devastating. There's no question. But what I've come to terms with and try to stay focused on is that in the last number of years, especially, there's been such, uh, there's been so many amazing advances in lung cancer that I believe right now we have a reason for optimism and a belief that even if it's not curable in some cases, maybe we're talking about a chronic world and we can do this for much, much longer. I choose to believe that. And so my advice to them would be, look at that. Look at, the, look at the, uh, the great success stories. And I think we need to hear more of them. So thank you to Lung Cancer Canada for letting us hear these success stories. And um, we need to focus on the advances and the opportunities there will be for a, a great life. Terrific, thanks, Tim. Yeah, I would echo that. It's, it's not false hope anymore. There's really genuine hope with all of the advances. Um, and then finally, for people who are listening, if you've heard anything on this podcast that resonates with you uh, or gives you some concern, if you're facing lung cancer yourself, please do um, reach out to our website, lungcancercanada.ca, or give us a call. Or uh, if it's maybe a direct medical question, um, check in with your, your own team. But uh, finally, thanks to Tim very much for joining us and um, please listen in for the, the next episode of Lung Cancer Voices.
Thank you very much. Thanks to our producer, Ryan Mullen. Please send us your feedback, like and follow us on Facebook at LungCan, on Twitter at LungCancer underscore can, and on Instagram at LungCancerCanada. For more information about lung cancer or to donate, volunteer or share your story, visit our webpage at lungcancercanada.ca.